Scripture this morning is kind of about all of this, kind of. Remember, I'm talking about vision today, and it's an unusual scripture, and, and um, Kent Amsbury read first service, and he came to me at the beginning of worship, and he just held it up to me because it's a whole page. And he said, what are you thinking? <laughs> but you've got to hear the whole story here, and this is a very familiar story, particularly as we begin to turn our attention toward Advent. And see what happens because of a vision in the midst of this story. David? From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now, at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have, many, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before them, to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, 
and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. It was so interesting in first service as the scripture was read, exactly the same scripture, and Tom Bresky, who sits right about Lois where you are, um, piped up uh, after the scripture, because I, I, you know, I, I ask questions usually on first service that, that beg a response, and he said, it was amazing to me that even in the midst of, of having this incredible, overwhelming experience that, that Zachariah was still politically correct. He said that he was old, but his wife was getting on in years. <laughs> I got to tell you, I never thought of it that way, but Tom obviously did, and Pam, Pam just reached over and patted him on the back and said, just remember that. It's amazing how these things happen. This scripture is so important for us because it, it describes something that happened. I want to give you a little historic context before I kind of get into the rest of the meat of the message. And just a reminder that, that every year someone is, is selected by lot to go into the altar of the incense. And if, if this was the temple, there would be a curtain right here and another curtain right here. And this would be the Holy of Holies. Yeah. Don's up here going, yeah. <laughs> this would be the holy. This is where God lives. God's presence exists there. If you get this close to God without permission, you'll be killed. And what they used to do is because if the priest wasn't worthy who was selected, then what they would do is they would have bells around the bottom of the robe and tie a rope around his right ankle. And if he went to the altar of incense to light the incense and offer this fragrant offering to God and God was not pleased, God would strike them down. And the rope was attached to um, out the curtain to a group of guys out in the front so that if the bell stopped ringing, they knew that God was not pleased and they'd drag his sorry carcass out of there. But, but, and I, I don't mean <laughs> the way it sounded, but that's exactly how they, they saw it, is he wasn't worthy. It was the wrong selection. So, so there was some intimidation around Zechariah entering into that curtain. Because, you know, everybody questions, just like we do today, of whether or not we're worthy or not. And there are challenges that go along with that, but Zechariah walks in expecting to see what he had seen before, to see what he had always seen, and he walks in and there is something completely different that is so overwhelming as to not be able to respond. And so, this miracle, this vision says, you're old and your wife's getting on in years, but you're going to have a child. And that's a story for a different Advent Sunday. This is not Advent yet, but this is the perfect scripture to kind of turn us that direction. And like I think many of us would, 
he questions, well, maybe we wouldn't. He questions this angel and says, yeah, but, and there are consequences to that questioning, and he's silenced, at least until the birth begins. It's an amazing story. And often I think what happens is if a vision isn't shared well or shared properly or given the opportunity to kind of gain ground, this is one of the things that happens. Silencing. I'll go into that a little bit more. The other thing that happens is it becomes scary and terrifying and, and it becomes that monster in the, in, the, in the kind of crib that's giving new birth and it just grows and gets hairier and uglier and, and, and more intimidating unless something happens to allow it to become something new. Well, it's been an interesting week uh, on many levels. And first of all, let me share that, uh, again, I will say it, and I can say it because she's not in choir uh, this morning, because she's off doing the detail work for our 17-year-old this morning that needs to be done right now, is, is I married so far above my station and uh, that, that she reminded me, and that's why she showed me this commercial from GE, uh, of what can happen if, if the pastor maybe fails on sharing a vision. And she said it becomes this big hairy monster, and, and we talked about that, and she said, Brad, I, I want to tell you that you're not a detail person. <laughs> oh, would you stop smiling and nodding, all of you, <laughs> you know? And I was reminded of that um, about five times this week by different members of the staff and others. And, and so I, I want to remind you, <laughs> I'm not a detail person. I love creating you know, big, hairy dreams. I love challenging people. I love to do that. And, and I want to remind you, somewhat in defense, that, that part of my history and some of the most significant history that I have, and it happened again, a person who was a part of that was sitting in first service this morning and was just smiling and nodding. Um, that my job was to go in and meet with the community and meet with community leaders and do all kinds of things to tell them what was wrong with the community and then to tell them, you know, I'll be back in six, uh, I'll be here for six weeks and we'll just keep talking about this and we're going to create a new vision and I'll be back in a year to, to find out how you did. It's all about evaluation. It's all about creating big hairy dreams for folks and then being evaluated. The other thing I need to share with you is my average stay in a church has been, over my career, three and a half years. Guess what you do in three and a half years? You create some big hairy vision, and then you leave. And I sat with Dorothy this last week, and I said, guess what I've done at Aldersgate? I've created this big hairy dream that not everybody is on board with, and isn't it now time for me to leave? And yet what I've also shared with you is for the first time in my career, uh, in every, every place in my career, um, the bishop has come to me about right now and said, I need you to look at something else. And this is the first time, because I got that conversation last year, um, and I said no. I said no. Um, this, is, this is an incredible place, and it's not just that it has potential. It's already living out the gospel. But might there be things that we can do together? And, you know, there's uh, some folks sitting in the congregation right now who have had deeper conversations about some of this, and, and 
they too say um, things like what you need is a, a, a lieutenant, that was one word that was used, um, who can do the detail work and so that you can continue to be who you are about that person who shares the big hairy dreams as long as you have folks who are on board and can root it and take it to the next level. And that brings me to this morning. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to revisit some things with you. And I wish that I could back up and say, let's start over, but we can't. And so first, let me apologize that I know that I've done this to you, and I recognize that. But I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to run out and go, so let's let the next pastor come in and do something more. That's not what I'm going to do this time. What I want to do is say, and by the way, I've got to defend that too, because Usually what happens is then a church begins to grow and it begins to thrive and and just some other things that happen. You're a different breed. Aldersgate is a different breed. It's a different kind of church. And so what I want to do instead is bring you some ideas about what I think we need to look at as we move toward Advent into a new year. And I'd like to share these visions with you, but not as some big hairy thing that I'm going to lay on top of you. But as something, but as, as things for which I'm asking you to pray and consider and, and to potentially become much more involved in. And so I want to start with this whole leadership model. I know that some of you were very opposed, particularly in their service, to changing the leadership model. But what I'm asking of you now is this leadership model is in place. Here's what I'm hearing from really a fair amount of folks now who are coming back to me and some of the leaders on the core leadership team and saying, I feel like my voice is being heard for the first time in this church and I've been here for 20 years or 30 years. And the common table is giving that kind of gift to everyone in the church, the kind of gift that allows every voice to be heard, every idea to be kind of examined. And... And they're saying that, but we're, we're, it's still fresh. We've only had, what, three, two or three common table meetings where all the church gathers. So I'm asking for your patience as this continues to unfold and continues to go deeper and become more rooted. And that these 14 members of the core leadership team, which, by the way, do represent both services, have an opportunity to become more focused and deeper in their understanding of what we're trying to do as a church. By the way, they had a six, they've had a six-page document um, that has some of these pieces of the vision since June and are still kind of disseminating it and looking at it and looking at the priorities. And they, they're aware of the ones that I'm bringing to you this morning. At least most of them are, if they've been around. And so um, I am... I'm asking for your patience as we continue to allow this leadership model to take deeper root. Second, one of the areas where I have struggled and failed is, particularly with the staff, is because I'm a dreamer and because I do vision work, sometimes, and I'm not a, a very good detail person, the staff has been, some of them have been caught up in some of that. And, and particularly Rachel, I just, you know, I just feel for Rachel because she has, in fact, you know, been a part of this shifting sand, which has been trying to figure out this vision and trying to create a, a children's and youth and family program in the midst of this shifting sand. 
She came to me two weeks ago with a proposal. Those on Staff Parish know about this, but I want to share it with you. And her proposal, uh, I guess it's been, what, three weeks ago, Clarine, something like that, where she said, we don't need a part-time person in this position. What we need is a full-time person. I don't know, it's really hard for me not to wander on so many levels. Um, children, youth, and family be a full-time position. And what I want to share with you is that that is now a part of the budget that was presented to you last week. The narrative budget has a full-time position for that group. Because what I will tell you, if you come to first service, what you're going to see is the growing edge of this church are young families. And they are phenomenal. I looked at them this morning um, and as they heard some of this and just the smiles and the nods that are coming from this proposal that that become an elevated priority in the church around engaging children, youth, and families in, in new and reinvigorating ways. And that would require a full-time position in that. That we look at Nick and redo his position into um, more focus on middle school and worship, first service worship. And he led worship this morning, and he does it exquisitely well. And that we continue to look at teaching our children some of the fundamentals of faith, teaching them the songs of our history, teaching them the stories of the Old and the New Testament, teaching them and giving them opportunities to learn about what all of this means and not doing it in such a kind of a, um, an obscure way, but being very specific around incremental opportunities for growth for our children. And maybe a, a Sunday school or, or, or something like that that I know doesn't surprise you, but surprises many others in the church. But beyond that, there's more. As you know, as many of you know, I'm looking at doing a sabbatical in about a year and a half, and, and the, the root of that sabbatical is going to be what places church at risk for the loss of vitality. Well, I want to tell you what some of the research says. I'm already kind of working on this, not for this bigger picture, but for Aldersgate. And it is that so many churches are now focusing so much on young families that they're forgetting about the legacy and the legacy leaders and those who have been around the church for a long time and those who maybe no longer have children or youth at home, but who've been in the church for a long time. And so one of the hopes for us is that we continue to support and guide and nurture some of those folks for whom young families don't necessarily fit. And that we continue in excellence in worship and excellence in tradition and excellence in, in music. But we also do one other element on both sides of this equation. One of the places that I think we're lacking as a church is if somebody walks in here new to the faith, where do they go where they can learn more about the fundamentals of the faith? And what we need are incremental opportunities for both young and not so young to learn more about the faith, but have it done strategically so we have an entry-level class and a kind of a middle-level class and, and then the pastor's class, which is more graduate level, um, or some of the other classes. And, but we do this intentionally. And that is part of the vision that we could implement very, very soon. Those are some of the faith pieces, a few of the faith pieces that I'm looking at. But now let's look into the love pieces, the creating opportunities much more for relationships. Gosh, I, I just want so many more opportunities like what happened at the harvest dinner. I got to tell you, 
What was so fun at Harvest Dinner was watching these brand new young families engaging with folks who've been around the church for a long time, asking questions, building relationships, and it was, it was phenomenal, overwhelming to see what these kinds of things. Let's have more of those. Let's become United Methodist. And here's an idea. Let's have more potlucks. <laughs> and potlucks without agenda. More places where we can just build on these relationships. If you were in my class last week, you also heard me talk about one other element that is, it is so consistent in churches that are vibrant and growing. And it, it includes small groups. It was interesting, again, because this whole section at first service was filled with young families. And I began to talk about this, and the smiles and the nods were overwhelming. Many of them knew that we provide a small group for parents with young children so that not only are those parents getting to know each other and gaining skills, their children begin to have memories of growing up together in a church. But let's not stop there. Let's go to parents who have middle school and high school kids. Lord knows they need our prayers. (laughs) But let's not stop there. How about a small group for empty nesters who are struggling with being empty nesters? How about a a small group for those who are in the midst of retirement and have now kind of lost their way in retirement? Or those who are celebrating retirement and they can share their travel stories together? Or, Or small groups for young adults who are trying to find their way, or small I mean, you hear what I'm saying here, that it's small groups that involve so many different folks in the church, but where they can meet together and pray together and, and talk and tell stories together and be nurtured together. One of the folks who was at first service is a young woman who has just begun her internship in counseling. She's one of the ones I shared with you about at the opening. She has just finished an extensive study of a program called Effective Parenting. And she said, maybe this is the church where I can offer some of that. And they're ready to now make this their church. And I thought, there's an answer to prayer. And it's the continued expansion of what Laura is trying to do with Connections Counseling and the the Counseling Center. I wish I could wander because I want to wander right now. But... The other thing I need to share with you is that a week and a half ago, um, after some extensive conversations, Chris Antropas, our preschool director, has decided to retire at the end of the school year. And friends, I will share with you, it's time. It's time for Chris to retire. And and what we're going to do is, for those of you that are baseball fans, uh, we're going to create a Derek Jeter kind of atmosphere for Chris and just celebrate the 21 years she's been director of this preschool and the 26 years where, where she has been a part of this preschool. But in the midst of that, guess what else we're going to do finally? We're going to create an atmosphere where this church and that preschool become united and that they truly become an outgrowth and a ministry of Aldersgate United Methodist Church and that every member of that staff downstairs sees themselves as a part of the staff upstairs. And it becomes inclusive. And the other thing they're going to help us do as we look beyond our doors, that preschool is 49% Asian. It is representative of this community. Friends, our church upstairs is 3% multicultural. And we need to get better about engaging others 
in the ministries at Aldersgate, and that can help us do that. But more than that, it's around surrounding those children and make them really feel like they're a part of this church. So we're going to rebuild that preschool in some wonderful, wonderful ways. So part of my question to you, because this is not me sharing where we're going. This is me sharing ideas of what we're going to be doing. There are two search committees being developed right now, one for the director of children, youth, and family, and one for a search for a new preschool director. If you feel called and feel like you'd like to be a part of either one of those, please let me know. Please let me know. A list began and is filling up, so please let me know. Let me turn toward health. You've heard about health, and I, I know Zons, Zons weren't sure they were going to be here because they had Thanksgiving plans, but health has become, as you can see, an emerging part of our ministry at Aldersgate, and Daniel Flahev has done a tremendous job, and um, Janice Zahn was going to bring her two medals this morning, both of which she earned at a half marathon and her first marathon. And she will say it's because of this church that she was able to have that accomplishment and the weight loss and the health focus and the, and the running that she and Daniel did at, um, at the all-church retreat, which gave her the vision for offering herself as, as, as someone who could be healthy. But health expands beyond just physical health. I read, and I, I, I haven't talked, I haven't emailed Jenny yet, but I want to email Jenny, because I don't know if you saw in the paper, the nation of India came out and... Um, Jenny Andrews, who sits right there in first service, just returned from India with PATH. And she, would, she talked about this. What they said was they have become a very large worldwide coal-producing country. And what one of their leaders said was, um, we know what this is doing to climate change. We don't really care because we need the economy right now and don't need to worry about what happens in the future. That should stun us. It should. But what that did for me is look at, at what we're doing here and continue to look at kind of becoming a much more green church and looking at the property that we have and stewards of this property and seeing opportunities to open this property up to the greater community. And how can we do that? And I think there are ways to do it. So much more, but let me, let me finish with the service piece. I had an interesting conversation after worship, after first service this morning, and... and and it was looking at, we need some big victories as a church. We need at least two big victories as a church. Well, we've had one, and it's going unnoticed. And look up at these lights in here and the lights in, in Friendship Hall. This was five years in the making. And many of us don't really like track lighting, but what we now have are brighter lights that are warmer and more engaging and can adjust in much greater ways here and across the hall. I mentioned, you know, we had a parking lot that was paved because of your generosity and some wisdom. But here's the other big victory that I want looking ahead. We need another white swan. We need another large all-church mission trip where we can go and transform the lives of others, not just as individuals out doing individualized work, but as a singular church coming together, multi-generational, multi-ages, where we can engage together, 
whether it's somewhere here in Bellevue or Seattle or somewhere beyond across the mountains in eastern Washington, and Lord knows there are needs there. Or whether it's in Alaska or other parts of the country or even across the globe, that becomes more challenging, particularly when we think of young children. But I need you thinking about where can we engage in a place where we can all come together as a church to transform the lives of others with multiple ages, multiple experience levels, multiple things. So let me close with this thought. I just want to wander. Um, Why these things? Friends, we all are sitting on shifting sand. Particularly as mainline denominational churches, we are sitting on shifting sand. And we need to recognize the needs that are beyond our doors. We need to recognize the needs within our doors. Sarah and I went to a multicultural conference, and I thought it was going to be on ethnicities. It was not just on ethnicities. I was able to identify out of that conference 10 different cultures in this church, and I don't mean ethnicities. I mean ages and backgrounds. Even if you look at the differences between those who work at Google and Microsoft and Amazon, those are different cultures, and the leadership are represented there, or those who work in finance versus those who work in private nonprofits. And what a wonderful opportunity to engage in some of these conversations. But then beyond our doors, how do we engage this community? This community is on shifting sand as well. It's changing, and it's changing rapidly, and we need to keep up. We need to keep up, and we can, and we can because of you. We can because of you. So I'm asking you to consider these things. Finally, I'm asking that if you have feelings about them, Don't leave the conversations in the parking lot. Certainly have those conversations. But bring them to me. Even if it's by email or by note or whatever is comfortable for you, bring them to me. And I look forward to where we're headed, even in the next year and beyond. And may these things that I have shared not become that big hairy monster or that overwhelming peace that Zachariah felt as he entered into that sanctuary. But might these things be able to morph into something incredibly beautiful, which absolutely is a part of the history of this church? You are beautiful, multi-talented, deeply committed. And like Laura, I am deeply humbled by being able to serve with you and share with you even an apology at this level. Will you pray with me? God, as we turn our attention toward Advent, may these ideas and this sharing be the advent of something that answers a call from you, not just a call from Brad. May those who are skilled in putting flesh on bone, providing detail in the midst of hopes and dreams, emerge in new and invigorating ways. And may we all see that we are in this together. And instead of becoming concerned, 
we become engaged and excited about the possibilities. Both those which we experience in the present and those possibilities that can propel us into the future as a vision. All this we ask in the name of the one who shows us how, Jesus Christ.